You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Well, if you have been with us in the series, uh, we are in this series called The Promise. We are just a few weeks away from being done with it, actually. So we've been kind of plugging along. And here we are in uh, chapter 20. This is the Abimelech incident, or as I like to call it, the oops, I just sold my wife again incident. Um, and uh, if you have been with us in it, you'll, you'll notice something curious about it. If you heard the reading just now, it is almost... Uh, a shot-for-shot remake of another chapter that we've already covered. Uh, In chapter 12, uh, we've been in this terrain before. Virtually everything that you're about to see in this text today has already happened eight chapters earlier. You you have uh, uh, Abraham in a foreign land, lying about his wife. She gets abducted by a king. Uh, Promise of God uh, in jeopardy. Uh, What are we going to do now? That whole thing is playing out again, eight chapters later. Now, you might be going when you hear that, well, then why are we, why are we preaching it? I mean, you've already, like, we've already heard this. You've already preached it. What, just skip it. We can save some time. Get out of here quick. This, uh, I, I hear you, uh, but that's unbiblical. Don't think that way. The, what I want you to think is uh, this. Anytime um, something is repeated often, in a story, uh, you can be sure that the author is up to, up to something. He's wanting to communicate something, and he's turning up the volume when he does that. That it's a, uh, it's a way to develop a theme, right? So when we're here in chapter twenty, we're actually seeing a theme starting to develop that, that uh, Moses is wanting to communicate to his audience, and the theme is really going to come across to us uh, in terms of a question. The question that we're going to start. Uh, asking ourselves as we're working through this passage today is is something like, how much of a mess inside me is God willing to put up with? That's really the that's really the theme that's, that's showing up. How many failures of character, failures of nerve, how, how much of a train wreck am I allowed to be before God bails on me, right? Before um, his grace, for, before I've outpaced his grace, right? How, how long before that thing happens? Where, where is the line for God? That's what this text is asking us. And you do know what I mean by that? Like the, like we all draw a line. We have this kind of invisible line in the way we operate in the world. That We do it for other people. We, we draw a line. We say, I am with you up to this point. And when you pass this point of crazy, uh, you're dead to me, right? Do we got that line? We have a line for ourselves, right? With God, that we have this invisible line that we go, okay, these are the, the types of things that I can do over here, that I can be confident God's got my back. He loves me, he, even in spite of this. And then there's the things on the other side, the wrong side of the line, that when I cross that line, I have no more confidence that my God is going to be for me, right? So we, most of us live our life trying to just live functionally on the, the right side of the line. Don't step over the, the wrong side of the line. The problem with that is you're humans, right? Anybody crossed that side of the line before? What, what Genesis 20 is, is saying is, yeah, uh, here's an example of somebody who does. What, ha- so what happens then when you find yourself living on the wrong side of your line? That's, that's really what Genesis 20 is, is, is uh, provoking us to think about. When I'm standing here, what can I expect from my God now? I knew what to expect here. But I don't know what to expect when I have done that thing that I swore I would never do. And I could never do it because then God wouldn't be for me anymore. What... What should I expect from God when I'm standing on the wrong side of the line? And the answer the text is going to give us this morning is this. Everything you could expect from him on the right side of the line. 
In fact, if, you, if you're looking for like a headline today, the big E on the eye chart, if you're a note taker, the, the big takeaway this morning is going to be something like this. If you belong to him, God will never quit doing you good. Isn't that good news? I'm going to say it again. If you belong to him, your God will never quit doing you good. He will never stop. For some of us, that's a hard pill to swallow, to be honest. But that is, that is what's happening in this text. We're going to watch Abraham cross some massive lines again, right? And we're going to watch God respond. And I want you to see three things as we go through this today. How your sin, your situation, and even you yourself cannot stop your God from doing you good. If you belong to him, he will not stop doing you good. That's really good news this morning. So if you got your Bible, get it out because we're uh, in the text, chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And uh, the text uh, reads this. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. So uh, again, some familiar territory for us. We got Abraham, and he's doing the sojourning thing again, yeah? And he winds up in this place called Gerar. Now, Gerar is a little southwest of the promised land. It's not Egypt, but it is a foreign land with a foreign king. And here we go. This is a, this is a thing that he's seen before, right? He's been in this type of situation. But uh, he's a different guy now, right? That was eight chapters ago. Uh, he's got some W's on the wall now. Like there's some, there's, he, he's done some things. He's uh, uh, prayed for Sodom. We had that awesome like faith moment with him. And so, uh, he's helped rescue Lot. He's fought some kings. He's done some stuff that he's a mature man now. What are we, what, so now what are we to expect from our a uh, little bit more refined, a little bit more deeper roots in God, man, in this moment. What can we expect? Home runs? Uh, about as many as last night with the Rangers. Uh, here's what it says uh, in verse 2. And Abraham said of his wife, she's my sister, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Hashtag sigh. Hashtag old habits die hard. Yeah? They... Just as a refresher, this was Abraham uh, eight chapters earlier. Um, chapter 12. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and then my life may be spared for your sake. Awesome. Um, so, uh, it was really funny studying this uh, text this week and reading the commentaries. I don't know if you've read any of the commentaries on uh, chapter 20, but if you do, you're going to find that there's this uh, group of scholars out there uh, who um, are all arguing that this chapter, chapter 20, is actually not original to the book of Genesis. That Genesis was written and then later some guy came back in and put this in the text, okay? So that's what some scholars of Genesis are arguing. Now, here's the reason they argue that, right? This is their actual rationale. Because no joker would do this thing twice. It's in the past. It's, that's what, like this is how dumb this decision is. That like literal Hebrew scholars of the book of Genesis are like, nobody's doing this. Like nobody's, nobody's going to go this far. Like, no guy's this dumb. Have you met a guy? Do you know what I mean? Like have you met, and not just that, have you met a, 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 a human being? Have you met a sinner? Quick, um. Test. Show of hands. Has anyone in here uh, made a terrible decision more than once? Yeah? Okay, okay, cool. So these guys are idiots then. I just wanted to make 
sure that I had that right. Now, it's true. This is what happened. But it's not an excuse, right? I'm not excusing what he did. In fact, uh, in many ways, you could say that what's happening in chapter 20 is worse than what happened in chapter 12 because we have new information now. In chapter 12, for instance, uh, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we learned uh, he didn't know that Sarah had to be part of this equation, right? He only knew the promise was for him. But now he's got new information. That child has to come through Sarah. It, it has to come through. So he's got this new information that Sarah is now crucial to this whole thing. And he's got himself a memory. He's got a memory of coming into a foreign land, saying she's my wife, and then a king abducts his bride. So he's got those two things going for him. And he still goes, hey, let me give this one more shot. See what happens. This is how I feel watching Home Alone 2. You know what I mean? You're like, really? Booby-trapped house again? You're going to do that whole thing? Same kid? Okay. This is, uh, this is, um, that saying is true. Uh, sin makes us stupid. Yeah? Sin makes us, sin will make you so stupid. And we're seeing this here in the text. And that stupidity of our man almost always takes a person into some tough, dark situations. Because as soon as Abraham walks into the home alone house again, uh, people start getting hurt. Because now it's not just his sin that we're dealing with. It's the fallout of it. It's the awful situation that that sin produces. So look again at the text. It says, And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Um, one, of, one way to, to be a good student of scripture is not just to think your way through a text, but to feel your way through a text. Okay, so like when you, when you read the scriptures, you're, it's meant to hit you here as much as it's meant to hit you here. So let's, I want you to feel your way through the text with me. This thing just happens. The sin has, and now uh, abduction happens again. Abimelech has his wife. What are we meant to feel in this moment? I think there's a couple things. The first thing we're meant to feel is the anxiety of what's going to happen to his promise. Like God made a promise. It has to come through Sarah. We know that now. It's got to come. And she's gone. She's not here. Like, do you understand? Like, there is no, like, you being a Christian without this thing working out. Like, there's no, pro there's no Bible. There's nothing. If this doesn't go right, everything's lost. So the, the, there should be some angst in us. Should be some, what, what's going to happen now? And the second thing I think we're feeling is, what is God about to do with this rascal Abraham? Right? Like, how many times can you give your wife away and that'd be okay? Like, it's, I don't, what's the number? He was, he was really kind to Abraham in chapter 12. Oddly kind. We, we talked about it a few weeks ago. Man, that's, that's a very weird way to respond. But okay, but, but maybe this is the line, right? We all have our line. Maybe this is the line that when you step on the other side of it, you will not meet that same kind of God. Is that what we're expecting? Is that what's going to happen? How's God going to respond? And the answer is exactly the same way he responded in chapter 12. But God came to Abimelech, not Abraham, Abimelech, in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But God came to Abimelech. So just re remember back, chapter 12, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh, remember? Abraham lies, God afflicts Pharaoh. Abraham lies again, God threatens Abimelech. Do, you, do we see, 
we are, we're starting to notice a theme develop. Yeah, we're starting to notice there is something about a covenant relationship with this God that changes how he responds to us in failure. There's something about when, when you make a covenant with this God, something different happens when you, when you stumble. Something different happens when you drop the ball. Even if you do it repeated, he, he doesn't respond how you think. He, he acts different to his covenant people when they fail. If my wife were to sin against me, um, I'm not allowed to just take my ball and go home anymore, right? She'd be at my house anyway. She'd be home there. Anyway, I, my role is to pursue her and love her because 17 years ago, I made a covenant with her. We, we agreed to something. We, we said yes to something that for better or for worse, no matter how you are, I am a yes to pursuing you and laying down my life in, for you and working for your good. And that's, that's what we're starting to see here. This theme developing of, oh God, what happened back in Genesis 12 and then in 15 where God makes that covenant with David, that has changed things in the relationship. God's acting weird now towards somebody who's failing. That's interesting. Our, our antenna should go up. That's what God's doing here. He's responding in that covenant love. But now, the difference between um, me and God, and there are several, uh, is that while I might be able to respond uh, in love, uh, I can't actually do anything to actually like fix a problem. Like I can respond well and hope for the best. Uh, but that's not how God operates. God, God not only responds in covenantal love, but he can actually, like, actually do something about the thing he wants to achieve. And that's what we're about to see play out. So uh, watch this. Uh, he comes to Abimelech. He warns him. And Abimelech's taken aback. He's like, dude, I don't, what are you talking about? He, he realizes, oh, I've actually been duped by Abraham. Abraham lied to me. And, and he goes, I didn't know. He, he says, in the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I've done this. I got integrity here. I got innocence. But listen to what God says. Listen to this. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you've done this thing in the integrity of your heart. Comma. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. God, this little moment with God in the dream with Abimelech, this is not God using good like negotiation techniques to get Sarah back. Like some guy is on the roof and he's, you're like trying to talk him down. It's like, man, hopefully I can use my words right and he'll maybe give, give Sarah back. Like maybe this will work out. That this isn't a negotiation. God just does what he wants. You understand that? Like he's, he's in charge. He's, he is sovereign over things. He, he accomplished it. He, he just said, you know that, that like integrity of your heart thing that you just did where you're like so good you would never sleep with her. You know that thing? I actually did that in you. I just want I want you to know I kept you from sinning against me. Uh, now, it's interesting. We find out kind of how that works because in the last couple verses of this chapter, we learned that God had actually sent some kind of affliction to Abimelech and to his wives uh, where they were no longer able to contribute to the baby-making process. So I just, you figured that whole thing out. But both parties, it ain't working, okay? And, and he's basically tampering with this man to restrain his will to keep his promise to Abraham. The point is, God, God gets what he wants. Like he's, he's just going to do it. He's sovereign. Do you understand that? Like, um, 
How sovereign is your God? I'm just, let me take a little, pull a car over a moment. How, how do you think about your God? How does he operate? Uh, there is a way that I've heard a lot over the years. People um, talk about God in relation to us, uh, folks. And uh, it's this phrase you probably heard before. It's the God is a gentleman phrase, right? We've heard that? Yeah. God is a gentleman. Um, he will not uh, force his will on you. Uh, he will not tread on your um, desire, your wishes. He'll let you do the thing that you want. Is that true? Is that, read this. Is that true? I just want to platform this thought. No. Yeah. Um, if gentleman means God doesn't get what he wants when he wants and no one can stop him, if that's what gentleman means, then let me just be really clear. God is super not a gentleman. Like really, you don't want God to be a gentleman. There's no you, you knowing Jesus if God's a gentleman. There is no gospel if he doesn't get the thing that he wants. Like, like God always wins. You do not want a God who does not get his way. He disrupts the sleep of kings to keep his promise. He closes and opens wombs to keep his promise. He restrains the evil inclinations of our hearts to keep his promise. He will not be stopped in his care for you even if you're the one trying to stop him. That's what the passage says. I'm just saying the text. That's what it says. Do you know how many thunderstorms killed the electricity at my house as a high schooler when I got on the internet to click on something I shouldn't? I don't know, there's like a perpetual thunderstorm over my house, my whole high school experience. I don't know what's, how, why did that happen? God did that. He's the Lord. He gets what he wants. He, he is working for our good even when we're not working for our good. He's up to that kind of work. He butts his way into our lives all the time. And I say this just to say, Christian, I want you to hear God's love for you will not be stopped by your sin. It will not be stopped by the situation your sin has created. And as we're about to see, it's not even going to be ultimately stopped by you. The you that you are. You yourself cannot stop God. If you belong to him, you cannot stop your God from doing you good. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, in this last section of the text, we kind of enter into this interesting moment. It's this kind of Q&A portion of the text with Abimelech and Abraham. And, and Abimelech is, he's tore up, right? He's been deceived. He, he, he has done something he shouldn't have. He acknowledges that and he goes, wait, but I've been tricked in this. And he wants some answers from Abraham. So he starts asking, Why, how did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did you do this to me? And Abraham presents his rationale to him. And he, he gives two excuses and they are, Really lame, but let me read them to you and we can appreciate them together. Uh, verse 11, uh, Abraham gives this first one. So, so Abimelech's questioning him. He says this, Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Please appreciate the irony of this. What? Who is, who is the only person in this story who has exhibited the fear of God? The only person who has responded to God when he deals with him has been Abimelech, the pagan Philistine king. The, the only person who humbled himself, came to Abraham, tried to fix the situation, reconcile, respond when God spoke to him in the dream. The only person is the bad guy. The bad guy's the good guy in this story, right? It, it, even though he was lied to by Abraham, he, 
pays a reparation to Abraham. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen, male servants, female servants, gave them to Abraham, returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. So, so he gives them uh, uh, stuff. He gives them land. He pays this reparation. Then he pays a reparation for Sarah so everyone will know she's innocent of sexual misconduct. So he, he pays that. Fe- no fear of God. He's the, only, he's the only one in the story who has the fear of God. You, Abraham, you, you, look in the mirror, bro. You, you are the one without the fear of God in the story. Do you see the irony here? And then, and that's just his first excuse. Yeesh. Here's the second one. This is my favorite. Um, besides, verse 12, besides, uh, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. This is so juvenile. This is so, like, this is, this is that frat buddy trying to justify underage drinking. He's like, you know, uh, like, technically I'm 21 if you count my time in the womb. Like, I'm kind of... You're like, bro, you're an alcoholic. You have to stop. This is, this is our man. This is amazing, guys. This is, this is the great father Abraham. This is the guy we have on our t-shirts. He's, he's, we're rooting for Abraham. This is, this is the guy who in this same text, God is going to call him a prophet. He's going to say, I want Abraham to pray for Abimelech. He prays for Abimelech. God responds to his prayer. He heals Abimelech. He heals uh, the wives of Abimelech. Abraham walks out with all this blessing again, just like with Pharaoh. He comes out richer than he was before. This is, uh, the good guy in the story is the bad guy in the story. Again. This, do you see what the writer is doing? The writer is going out of his way, this whole story, to make you know just how lousy Abraham is. He is working really hard at every turn. If the Bible is a book about spiritual giants and how to be like them, Genesis 20 doesn't make any sense. Like, if I'm your editor, I'm like, keep this one out, man. It, it's, not, it's not helping your case. It's making the good guy look bad. But if the Bible is a book about a good God who commits himself to bad people, who even though they fail him repeatedly, he still pursues, he still pursues, he still pursues. If that's what this book is about, Genesis 20 makes perfect sense. And so does Genesis 12. And so do all of the other chapters where God's people utterly fail and come up short. Because the story is not about them being awesome. It's about him being awesome. That's what this book is about. What is the good news of, of Genesis 20? Why is it in here? It's in here so that you can know if you belong to God, he will never stop doing you good. And it has nothing to do with how nice you were this week. It is not connected to your greatness. It is connected to his kindness. Our God chooses unlovely people and pours his love on them. And from the beginning chapters of your Bible, that's the headline. Our God is doing good things to bad people. Our God is in the the kindness of himself, looking at folks who consistently fail him and saying, I love you. I'm coming after you. I'm pursuing you. My goodness is going to change your life. You're going to be with me forever. That's what's happening in this text. And that's what's happening through the whole course of this book. You are safe if you belong to him. You are really, 
really safe. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. If that's true, then if, if I really am safe, despite what I do, we're going to go, we're going to go crazy, right? We're just going to go, we're just going to start just shooting black tar heroin all day and just, be, you know, being the worst version of ourselves. If we really are caught in this, this, uh, arm of grace that God is giving us, what, what's stopping us from being the worst version of us? That's what's going to happen to my heart. But, you know, I, I can sympathize with how you would get there, but I don't think that's true. I don't think that is actually how true safety um, works. I think when, when a person who actually experiences true safety, when they actually taste that for real, it actually has the reverse effect. It doesn't produce more disobedience and you. It actually gives you a type of security and calm that allows you to walk in actual more obedience. I'll tell you what I mean. Um, the Golden Gate Bridge, when it was being constructed in the 30s, in the early days of construction, so just the, the first handful of days when, when this thing was getting built, 23 men fell from the bridge to their death in the water. 23 guys fell. About halfway through the construction, they realized just how wildly unsafe this was. People keep dying and dying and dying. So they set up a net underneath the construction of the, of the bridge. They put a net under there. And do you know what happened for the entire course of the, the rest of the building project? All the months that followed, do you know what happened? Only 10 more men fell the rest of the time. So less, way less people ended up even falling when the net was there. And they found that productivity went up 25%. 25%. Why? Why is that? Because when you know you're safe, you end up working harder and working happier. It's what happens. I have a security about me now because I, because I know if I fall, I'm caught. Something's going to catch me. Can I tell you, welcome to Christianity. This is how this thing works. We, we are going to fall and fail. And if there is no net, we are all done for. One pastor says, if you could lose your salvation, you would. I think he's right. But there is a net for you. And there is a net for me. You are really, really safe. And maybe you're here today and you have, you've got that line inside and you, have, you are living on the other side of it. You cross it, and you're in that terrain of like, there's no coming back from this land. This is, I'm on the side of the line where God does not show up anymore. And it's, it's awful. You're in this situation. You don't know what to do, but you know you can't expect him to come join you on, on this side of the line. I, I've counseled women before who have multiple abortions. And this is, this is where they live. They live in their mind as I, I am on, I'm on the other side of the line. I'm on the side of the line that says I have gone too far. This is the unredeemable side of the line. This is the no coming back side of the line. This is the, I had a good run with God, but, but no longer side of the line. And I don't know where you, maybe that's you. Maybe you're feeling some of that. Maybe you have a sin in your past that has just put you squarely over here in a place you never thought you'd be. Or maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're in the middle of some of that right now. And you're just in a space where you're going, I, I knew I could count on God's pardon here. I knew I could count on his love here, but not here. And if that's you, if you're on this side of the line, the wrong side, can I just tell you some really good news this morning? God crosses the line. Your God crosses the line. What Genesis 20 is telling you is he crosses that line for you. If you belong to him, you cannot stop him from doing you good. Even if you find yourself here 
instead of here. This is what our God does with us. He extends mercy after mercy, not because of something great in us, but because of something great in him, something lovely in him. There is a compassion in him that is there for his people, period, period. And the proof of this is the cross, isn't it? The cross is God's statement to us. There is no line you can cross that I will not cross to do you good. That, that's what uh, the book of Romans says, doesn't it? Romans chapter 5. Paul puts it like this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for, perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were on the wrong side of the line, Christ laid down his life for us. I don't know how you think about this Christianity thing, but that is how the Bible is telling you to think about it. Immeasurable kindness to unworthy people. And the beautiful thing about this is just like that net analogy, when, when we realize that we're safe, it produces in us a type of living that does honor him, that does move us away from sin and rebellion. That's the effect it has. It makes us work hard and it makes us work happy because we're going to be caught. He's always crossing the line for his people. And the only thing keeping you from experiencing this goodness of God, if you haven't yet, is whether or not you will trust him for it. Whether or not you will see the cross as the, the statement that it is that God will come all the way. That he has the ability to atone for and deal with all of your sin, even the ones you will do tomorrow. If you can treasure him for that, you belong to him. And if you belong to him, he will never stop doing you good. He will never stop. I told this uh, story in the past couple of years. I, I wasn't planning on it, but uh, I, I've said it before, but this was such a... Um, a settling, forming moment for me um, in my late teens. I'm still dealing with all the addiction, pornography addiction, all that. And I have this um, moment where I'm in my room on my knees and I am praying literally this prayer. I know I have crossed the line. I'm expecting that you're gone now. But if you can hear me, I, I just want to say I totally understand. I'd be gone too. This is what I'm telling God through tears on my knees in my room. And in that moment, where my narrative was, there is a place God will not go with me. I close my eyes and I see, interrupting my thoughts, a vision of me kneeling on the ground and Jesus kneeling next to me. And he puts his hand on my back and he just stays here like this for a few moments and then it's gone. And that vision for me, it changed the whole course of my life. To know that in my worst moment, in the grossest moment of my life, in the most embarrassing moments of my life, my Jesus is going to be next to me in that? That's the shock of the ages. That, uh, that, that this, this is the gospel. He is committing himself to you, not because of you, but because of him. And when you see that and treasure that, it will start to change you. So I don't know where you are. Right now, I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know if you can see your sin for what it is. Maybe you see it as just a, a, just a mountain. 
But I just, I want to um, challenge you. Make sure the cross is taller than that mountain. Make sure that it's bigger. Some of us, we, we understand our sin right as the huge thing as it is. And we have this big of a cross. I'm telling you, it's bigger. The cross is bigger than your sin. That is the point of the gospel. And it will change you if you can see it. So if you're in it right now, if you're stumbling through sin, if you're wrestling, this is the news. You need, you need to hear Genesis 20. Come to him, belong to him. And for those who belong to him, he will never fail you. He will never stop doing you good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for always surprising us with your um, confusing uh, why would you do that type of love that you have for us. It baffles the world that it is it's kindness that leads to repentance, that it's love and grace that leads to reformation. But that's what you do. That's how you change people. And I'm just praying for, for uh, whoever is here right now and they are just under the weight of their sin. Their sin is so tall and the cross is so small that you would help them to see that what you accomplished at Calvary can be for them and can be more than adequate to cover their failures, even tomorrow's. And God, would you let that news change us that you... Um, you really are next to us kneeling with your hand on us. You really do get that close. You really do cross that line. Thank you, God, for your mercy. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.